0: Here we are on Magical Medical Tour with my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woman, and special guest, Dr. Lori Layden, an internationally known trauma healing psychotherapist and humanitarian. We're going to discuss brain-based psychotherapy and her work with the victims in Rwanda and the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. This and more is coming up next on Magical Medical Tour. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman.
1: Hello, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready to laugh a lot today, huh? Today's a serious day. No laughing. No
0: laughing aloud?
1: Ooh, no, no laughing aloud until we talk to Dr. Lori Layden. That's and really that's tough.
0: tough. You know that.
1: I know. know, And I didn't even, I couldn't even believe it when I actually said it. (laughs) I like laughing. (laughs) Greetings, everyone. Mm. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide along with Christina today as we travel yet another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. Mm. And today we'll be speaking with Dr. Lori Layden, who I will speak about in just a minute as we introduce her. But first, Christina, any thoughts for our guests that are watching?
0: Oh, yes. Now, at any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question, make a comment, simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Um, Now, if you're listening to this uh, even a month, two months, a year, two years um, out, not to worry, You can still use that comment box. We will definitely get it to our guest or whomever it pertains to. Now, if you're listening to this on a device through a podcast, please just give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Doc.
1: Uh, You're quite welcome. Uh, So today we have a very special guest, uh, a good friend of mine and colleague, Dr. Lori Layden. She is an internationally known trauma healing psychotherapist and humanitarian. We're going to be speaking about that. She's the author of two books and she's an award-winning documentarian. Her humanitarian work is international. She's worked with uh, people all over the world including Rwanda and Sandy Hook Elementary School. So we're going to be talking about all of this uh, but now I would like to introduce Dr. Lori Layton, my friend and colleague. Hi, Lori.
2: Hello, Lori. Yeah, it's so wonderful to be with you on the magical medical tour. Thank you for inviting <laughs> me.
0: Well, thank you for honoring our global community. We love having you here, and we, we are just so honored. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm blessed.
1: We're going to get into a lot of the things that you do, so I want to just talk about the path that we're probably going to take a little. First, we want to know a little bit about you and how you came to be, who and what you are. We want to talk about your books a little bit, your award-winning documentary, some of your awards, the kind of work you do as a psychotherapist with a doctoral degree in health and human services, and your humanitarian work. Does that sound all right to you?
2: Sure does. Let's play. Let's play. <laughs> All right. I love it.
1: Yeah. All right, I'm finished. Just take over, Lori.
2: <laughs> how much time do we have?
1: I don't know. We're, we're going to let you psychotherapize me, and you can do humanitarian things with Christina. <laughs> I'm ready. So let's go, let's go with the first part. Uh, how did you get to where you are today? Not the training, but just the... What were the influences in your life that brought you to where you are? Uh, Who influenced you? And just take us to this point, and then we'll get into all the other things.
2: Well, I guess uh, I came to this work because of my own childhood traumas and uh, developing a a boatload of stress-related illnesses that finally landed me in the hospital. Uh, And at that time, um, stress Related illnesses were not really acknowledged. There wasn't really a treatment strategy for that. So I went on a search uh, of alternative therapies and how I could heal myself. Uh, That resulted in my first book, The Stress Management Handbook, in which I described the strategies I used, uh, but as a psychotherapist, I was always looking for what are the most elegant and graceful ways that we can help people heal. Um, I uh, was so curious about the mind body spirit stress connection, and at the time, there were no courses uh, in, in psychoneuroimmunology, so I developed, uh, uh I, I Developed my own course through uh, an alternative online university, which was very well respected. Um, but uh, then in 2003, I had a near-death experience, which is a whole nother story. But I made a decision to follow my heart wherever it led me. And um, I noticed different things about my intuition and my heart. Uh, as a result of that near-death experience. And I received a new form of psychotherapy, a spiritual practice for transcending our ego and living in our hearts. And I've been learning about the power of the heart since that time. And then flash forward to 2007 when I received an invitation to uh, go to Rwanda to use the work that I had described in the stress management handbook with widow and orphan genocide survivors. And that truly, truly changed my life and led me on a path of finding the, the most elegant forms of trauma healing and uh, really looking into the neuroscience and the heart science of trauma and why it's so important to heal trauma in order to be healthy uh, and as you know um, Glenn uh, trauma has uh, is the basis for many many uh, somatic illnesses uh, as as is stress it has been known to be ninety nine percent of all illness has a stress component. And so the best ways to help us uh, be healthy is to deal with those stresses and traumas. And then that work uh, led me to Sandy Hook, Connecticut, where I was invited to come to help those survivors of the uh, school shooting there, uh, which occurred in December 2012. I spent three years there, just returning back to Santa Barbara. Um, And I connected the young people in Rwanda with the young people in Sandy Hook for healing. And that is the basis of our documentary and just a little hint about my journey so far. And uh, a little later, perhaps I can describe what we are poised to do next.
1: Boy, you covered a lot there. (laughs) <laughs> so one one of the things, and it's an amazing story already, and I'm looking forward to hearing a lot of it. But one of the things you talked about, uh, and one of the things that we stress on Magical Medical Tour is how people uh, get training for the different uh, types of professions that. Uh, of people that we interview on our show and you mentioned that you did online training and so this is very important for people to understand because there are some people that may not have the opportunity or time or or finances to get to a college and get away depending on what's going on in their lives at that time so an online training program is very interesting in fact christina and yoga hub do a lot of work and that's where i originally met them through an online training uh course. Christina, any thoughts on that? Oh,
0: absolutely. And uh, Glenn, um, you know how powerful that is. Uh, when Yoga Hub did the first virtual yoga meditation conference back in 2010, and truly that was the very first ever, where we simulated a live conference online uh, where people could actually do exercises, they could do meditations, they, they could submit papers and uh, documents. They could uh, uh, pull PDFs down to read. So it was very—it was a very exciting time and a new trend then for the health and wellness world, uh, even though the universities and schools were no doubt five years ahead on their online situations. But um, <clears throat> it's so powerful that we can now connect th- globally through online training and we can take courses from all over the world
2: through it. So that's very exciting that you did that, Laurie. Well, it was very fulfilling because prior to this, uh, I had been interested in psychotherapy at a very, very young age and taken graduate level courses in clinical psychology as well as uh, a holistic alternative uh, mm-hmm. uh, medicine. Um, and again, my passion was this mind-body-spirit-stress connection, and dare I say, in the early 90s, there was really nothing available at the time. Mm-hmm. There was talk of mind-body connection, there was, but not mind-body-spirit, and certainly not the mind-body-spirit stress connection. Mm-hmm. So in developing my own PhD program, I was able to um, explore those avenues that excited me, as well as to go out and find practicums that made sense to me and that put all the pieces together together. Um, and also made sense to my own personal journey of health and healing. And I also had access, my, my um, dissertation mentor was a Harvard psychiatrist who was open to alternative medicine back in the early 90s. So being able to create this program myself had many, many, many benefits.
1: You talked about psychoneuroimmunology, pretty big word, not not necessarily a big <laughs> word for people in medical school, but for other people, psychoneuroimmunology. Tell us a little bit about that. Break it down.
2: Right. Uh, well, you know, in layman's terms, it's the mind, body, spirit, stress connection, but psycho for the mind and neuro for the brain, which is the stress response and uh, immunology. How uh, working on the mind-body-spirit connection can actually boost your immune system and make you resilient to stress, and that was really my focus.
1: And in the rever- in in the reverse, I'm I'm assuming, and I understand that if you are stressed, your immune system breaks down, and that's when other problems occur.
2: Exactly, which was my personal experience from childhood traumas. That again. Uh, led me to all these stress-related illnesses, which I didn't know were stress-related until I started doing my own research
1: and homework. So, are you totally healed?
2: Uh, I don't know that we're ever totally healed, but all of those symptoms are gone. Uh, oh. Migraines, gastrointestinal problems, back, chronic back back pain um, sleep disturbances, uh, psoriasis, uh, that's all I can remember at this point, but
1: (laughs) it's enough. (laughs) That's that's plenty. Maybe (laughs) we don't want you to remember some of the others. uh,
2: That's a sign that they're really forgotten. I mean, that's a sign that they're healed.
1: Excellent. Or you have them so subliminally down in your subconsciousness <laughs> that we have to do another show for healing exactly. Lori. <laughs> yes, yes. Right, so the, the work that you do with people, you started as a psychotherapist, but now your work is in you, most of the work you do. You don't sit with someone on a couch and talk about their childhood. You, I'm guessing you, you work more with EFT, emotional freedom, uh, tech, technology or technique.
2: Techniques, yes.
1: So well, is that just uh, go ahead?
2: I never really did traditional psychotherapy. Uh, I was always using guided meditation and mind body somatic release methods, uh, of which EFT tapping um, has been at the forefront. And there are many different modalities that I also include. But for our purposes, I would say that. Uh, Uh, EFT tapping really has a significant part to play in healing our traumas, in making us feel safe in our bodies, so that we can, from that place, stop the fight-flight-freeze response, which really keeps our reptilian brain activated Uh, And once we're able to have that inner safety, we're able to access those higher resources, those higher functionings of our prefrontal cortex, which is the seat of our creativity, our wisdom, our sense of transcendency and connectedness, Um, and this is really where uh, all of our human gifts and talents can be triggered. But until we feel safe in our own bodies, um, we uh, will continue to operate in that fight-flight-freeze response, which restricts us.
1: So you're a certified trainer in EFT. Uh, is, do you have to be a PhD to be a certified trainer, or could anyone no. uh, that wants to do this take, take the training? Right. Uh
2: so so there's the training that I offer and then there's the training, you know, in the world you can certainly be a certified EFT practitioner uh without uh you can be a par- what I call a paraprofessional. Uh however, in the in the mentoring that I offer Uh, I really, really strongly advise that people do their own work first uh, and that they do a deep dive into their own healing work and what would allow them to be fully present to those they're serving. So they must use these self-care techniques for themselves, which then allows them access to their own mastery of this technique. Uh, so, um, uh, uh, yes, uh, the answer is, In in some sense, uh, this may be off the topic, but I find that traditionally trained psychotherapists have a harder time with EFT because traditionally trained talk therapists are used to guiding and giving advice, whereas the beauty and the miracle of EFT is because it works on the brain to get you self-regulated and get those endorphins flowing, the client is really the manager of the content and the the practitioner is the manager of the process so we find that experience and learning and true change and transformation comes when the client themselves has their own aha experience and that's the beauty of tapping so so we find that there's a lot of retraining that has to occur uh, with traditionally trained uh, therapists, although on the other hand, they bring the gifts of being able to be aware of the the various symptoms and um, you know psychological angles that need to be dealt with. So you know, there's 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 pluses and minuses on both sides.
1: So EFT training. Uh- First of all, I want to know a little bit about the science of it, and then I want to talk about what it actually is, how you work with someone. And I'm assuming that this EFT training that you do uh, was part of what you do when you go to a place like Rwanda or Sandy Hook. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Okay, so— yeah,
2: the 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 most important way to describe EFT is that it's a combination of ancient Chinese acupressure, uh, you know, which we know has been around for five thousand years, uh, combined with positive psychology, and we know that from uh, research studies for the last thirty years in EFT, and now we have a very solid base of research about how EFT operates when you tap on certain meridian points on the face and the body, you are sending a signal to the brain to the amygdala, which is the seat of the fight flight freeze response and the hippocampus that the body is safe. And then you, so the, also the beauty behind EFT is that you just tell the truth about what is happening. For example, you use a setup statement, even though I'm really angry right now, or even though I'm really frustrated right now, uh, so you just state the truth, and you combine it with what you want to be experiencing. And so for the most part, we use, even though that's true, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Because ultimately, in that place where we... Want to be loving and accepting ourselves, we can find that inner peace. So uh, this is what I love about this process: is because first we work at tapping down the intensity of that stressor, whether it's anger or frustration or fear, and and in tapping down that intensity, let's say we can get we use a Sud scale, subjective units of distress, zero to ten. Someone comes in with a 10, I'm, I'm so enraged, uh, I'm a 10. And you can imagine that they're feeling all the, the, the flow of cortisol, steroids, and all of those stress hormones in their body. They don't feel safe. And in this process, within just a few rounds, we could actually get someone to zero to two, where their reptilian brain then comes offline, they're in neutral, endorphins can flow, and they have access to their higher resources. And this is where we can begin the healing and the insights. Um, And especially in a place like Rwanda, where there are, so, I work with hundreds of people at a time. There's no space to do one-on-ones. Um, we're able to, in a group, uh, help these people who have been through the worst of human tragedies feel safe in their bodies for the very first time. And it's that safety in their bodies physiological safety that allows for the learning, allows for hope, allows for um, them to engage in better behaviors, more healthy behaviors, and realize their own empowerment. So it's a self-regulation tool and a self-empowerment tool.
1: The way I the way I seem to understand it, and I want to talk about the actual method. You talk about tapping and tapping down and acupressure points, et cetera. So I want to get an example of that. But for me, the way I understand it, the limbic system is always in communication with the prefrontal cortex, and this communication, by doing the tapping or other types of procedures, you you allow a space between this uh, connection of the limbic system, the amygdala you talked about, the hippocampus is part of it, uh, a number of other parts uh, to. Relax the prefrontal cortex for a moment to sort of re-engage and get organized into yourself. Would you agree with that or disagree?
2: Well, I would say that we're relaxing the reptilian brain Mm -hmm. so that we can have access to the prefrontal cortex. Um, Okay. Because the reptilian brain is what is being activated in that fight-flight-freeze response. And, okay. you know, most lay people and professionals have only ever focused on the fight-flight response. We all know about that. Sure. But in, in trauma, what we're finding is that the amygdala freezes uh, at the point of trauma. And I think of... Um, our experiences through life, we all have little traumas and big traumas. And if they are not somatically released from the body, uh, we, we envision this trauma capsule in the brain, in the amygdala. And this is metaphorical now. But all of the trauma stimulation gets stored in that trauma capsule until we find a way to somatically release it. So if those little traumas and big traumas are not Healed, it's like a domino effect when there is a trigger that remotely reminds us of one of those little traumas or big traumas. And so, uh, the also the beauty of clinical application of EFT for trauma, and that is different from self care, is that we're able to connect the current traumas with the past traumas to clear the whole trauma capsule. But what happens is that you can have the memories, you can have the olfactory sen- or the sensations without triggering the stress response. So there again, yeah.
1: I see. So you can remember that you were in a car accident, but it, the rest of the stuff doesn't come up anymore. It, you become neutral to it rather than positive or negative.
2: Right, And up to now, now, traditional psychotherapy has focused on exposure, cognitive behavioral exposure therapy, in order to release trauma. And in my opinion, uh, while that is quote unquote effective. It takes a very long time and it is actually re-traumatizing the client for as many times as you ask them to retell the story. It's triggering that physiological response until perhaps after 12 sessions, the body becomes exhausted and does not trigger that response. So we don't want this kind of, this, this kind of Uh, suffering is not necessary. So we talk about EFT as being able to release the suffering piece of the trauma or the stress so that we can deal with all of the emotions that are underneath that. And if we take a trauma survivor like a parent of a Sandy Hooks uh, child who was murdered or a genocide survivor, the suffering piece comes in the flooding of the, horm- the stress hormones through the body, constantly creating hyperarousal or hypoarousal. Um, and when we can release that, they are able to deal with the, the true emotions of grief and um, sadness and, uh, you know, anger that will then allow them to move through the process of forgiveness and resiliency, if that makes sense.
1: Is that where you have to get, always the goal is forgiveness uh, and resiliency?
2: Um, You know, forgiveness is a bit of a controversial uh, subject in that I always believe that forgiveness is a choice, but I find that on the other side of forgiveness, and this is perhaps a whole show, uh, is... Um, is where we are freeing ourselves from being victims because in that space where we're in unforgiveness, we are the victim of our own unforgiveness. We are the ones that are plagued with uh, that uh, blame and judgment uh, that doesn't allow us resiliency. So when we're able to appropriately, work with forgiveness, we're able to find that resiliency, we're able to live in our hearts, we're able to find, uh, move beyond survivor's guilt, let's say, to gratitude, and maybe even to find love again, and joy, and wonder, which is where we find our resiliency.
1: So, forgiveness of others and forgiveness of self, both important.
2: Three things, actually. Always, forgiveness of myself is always the hardest, uh, and then forgiveness of others and forgiveness of the circumstance I find myself in. And I'll add a fourth uh, to this, which is there's always some forgiveness of God or whatever we consider to be a higher power.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I'm never afraid to go there, no matter whether it's a, a Rwandan with no education uh, or uh, uh, or someone in the developed world, the miracles that result as uh, in the courage to go through this process are profound. And it proves that we really are all the same. We all want the same things. And when we're able to um, find miracles out of tragedy, uh, this is also where resilience can begin.
1: So atheists that are spiritualists also can be healed.
2: Uh well, you know, it's funny. In EFT, you don't even have to believe in it, and people get results.
1: <laughs> so, excellent. So let's talk about EFT for a few moments, and you talked about tapping and tapping down. Uh, can you take us through a process? We talked about a possible meditation uh Would this be the same thing as the process that you're talking about that would help somebody that's watching or listening to this show uh, do their own work, even though they're not necessarily a a certified trainer? Everybody could still do some work.
2: Right. Well, uh, well, there is a little meditation I wanted to offer at the end, just a two-minute, but I will take you through uh, a standard EFT uh, setup statement and, and round, and I would ask you to participate with me um, uh, just for fun. And so the way I explain it is that, and there are lots of free downloadable manuals that people can use, but, um, what I would explain to the person is that, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, activate the, um, healing system of the body by, uh, beginning with tapping on what we call the karate point on the fleshy part of the palm. And what we do is we create a setup statement uh, that names the problem and names what we want to be experiencing. So uh, we'll do just a general global statement, uh, which would start with, even though I'm feeling some stress right now, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And we repeat that three times, even though. I'm feeling stressed right now, and you'd give it a number from 0 to 10. So in this case, even though I'm feel feeling stressed right now and it's about a 7, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And then the third time, even though I'm feeling stressed and it's about a 7, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And then what we do is we create a reminder phrase of the problem. In this case, it would be the word, I'm feeling stressed, or the phrase, I'm feeling stressed. And we tap on certain points on the face and the chest um, as a means of activating the um, endorphins to flow in your body. So in this case, we would begin at the beginning of the eyebrow and say, I'm feeling stressed. And then the side of the eyebrow I'm feeling stressed. and you're breathing with each uh, which e- with each uh, point that you're tapping on. Under the eye, I'm feeling stressed. Under the nose, I'm feeling stressed. Under the lips, I'm feeling stressed. And right here, just underneath the collarbone, I'm feeling stressed. And you may not be able to see this, but under the arm, I'm feeling stressed, and then right on the top of the hand between the fourth and fifth finger, I'm feeling stressed, and then what I ask people to do is close their eyes and take a deep breath, and just notice what you notice in your body, zero to ten, where is that stress now, and what comes up when you think of that stress now? And then I ask people to open their eyes and tell me what's happening in their body and whether that number is the same, whether it's increased, whether it's decreased. And at this point, we begin to unveil some uh, details about that stress. Well, I realize that I'm really stressed about the time pressure I have right now. Okay, now we're getting more specific. You see, so the it's like peeling away the layers of an onion uh, to get to the deeper and deeper core of what the issue is. And so we would continue with those rounds until we got to zero or at least two, where the person is feeling uh, more in self-control, where they begin to have um, some ahas, and then we begin to, to think about, well, And I would ask the client, well, what is it that you can do now to help yourself with that stress? And then elicit the answers from the client. Now, this is a very simple, simple explanation of where we begin. And there are many, many different aspects to this. But it's just a way that people can begin to feel calm in their bodies very, very quickly in a short period of time so that they then access Uh, higher resources of thinking and problem solving and feeling better. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, there's lots more to it and it's not going to make perfect sense. Like you said, you know, if it made sense perfectly in one moment, we'd all be tapping all day long. Everyone would be doing that all over the world. Maybe we should be actually. Uh, And I want to know more about that, but I want to move. Christina, do you have any questions about that?
0: Um, I have to tell you, I loved that. <laughs> I was following right along. Um, I do have questions about it. Uh, uh Lori. when you say to tap, um, does it matter which hand you tap or which side? Because, you know, with the meridians, sometimes it does matter. Or are you tapping at the same time? Like when you're on, on the yeah. head, you know, are you tapping, yeah. uh, within the eyebrow and then
2: on the outside of the eyebrow, all at the same time on both sides? Excellent question. And the way that it is traditionally taught is that yes, you use both hands. Uh, However, we found that it doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, And that you can do it one handed, doesn't matter which hand you use. Um, And so as as I think the resonance field for these healing techniques increases and expands, uh, we find that it becomes even simpler and simpler. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're exactly right that you can use both hands. Uh, you can either even forget you can tap in a different spot. Uh, but we like to teach it in order so people don't forget a spot.
0: Yes. Oh, it's wonderful. I could Mm -hmm. feel everything just shift and start to open up. Uh. So nice.
1: Are you healed, Christina?
0: Oh, that's gonna a long way.
1: No. <laughs> how many lives did you go back?
0: Uh, that's a
2: whole another show. You know that, Doctor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I have a protocols for that too.
1: Oh, for past life, for past life healing. We have much oh, to talk yes, about. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes. yes, yes. So I, I want to shift a little bit away from the psychotherapy part. And talk about another part of you, and then we're, then once we have both of them together, I want to move into the work that you're doing around the world. When I was in emergency medicine, I was a member of ASEP, which is the American College of Emergency Physicians. You are a member of ASEP, but it's the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology, correct?
2: I wondered if that was where you were going with that. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. that's correct.
1: <laughs> and, and in 2012, you were the recipient of ASEP's Humanitarian of the Year Award. Mm-hmm. So first of all, congratulations on that.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Well, I was very honored.
1: Yeah, I can, I can understand that. But now I want to talk about what it is to be a humanitarian. Does someone choose how to be a humanitarian? Do you take courses in it? Do you become one? <laughs> and also, as a humanitarian, does that? Uh, You know, in a profession, somebody comes to you, you get paid for that as a humanitarian. Is there a way that somebody can decide to be a humanitarian and make a living at doing that? So tell us about those two things.
2: Yes, 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 yes. And yes, and it's been quite a journey since 2007 um where truly it was all on a um voluntary basis. Um I would say that humanitarian work chose me. Spoke to my heart, spoke to my soul, so spoke to my soul path. Uh and I said yes. And uh along the way um it's now time to to be paid for that work, uh, and uh, and and so that's like a whole another discussion over how we value our uh, our work in the world and what we need to sustain ourselves in order to bring forward new work. And uh, part of my work has been to create a new form of humanitarian aid. Um, called Project Light, which is what I established in Rwanda to heal our next generation of young people so they could heal, work, and lead us into a peaceful future. Um, I don't know of any courses that you take in humanitarianism except the mentoring course that I've developed with my uh, people in Rwanda and my people in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, where I ask people to heal their own deepest wounds first uh, before they consider serving other people or at least being deeply into their own healing. Uh, because as we know, or as, at least as I've experienced, very well-meaning people who want to be of service and who are in service uh, uh, professions uh, flock to areas, uh, disaster relief areas, and war-torn countries in the hopes of serving. And yet, uh, if they have not done enough healing work themselves, they will be triggered. Their own traumas will be triggered. And oftentimes, we spend a lot of time servicing the people, the volunteers, and it's a distraction and a and a and a drain resource from what needs to happen. In those they serve. So, uh, you know, uh, again, uh, I combine what I call the grace process, which is the spiritual work that I received after my near-death experience, with tapping in order for people to be able to do that. And I'll give you an example. In Sandy Hook, uh, we had 425 people volunteer for work in Sandy Hook, a community of 29,000 people. This is just the tapping community. This is not all of the other people. 2,000 people came to volunteer in Sandy Hook. Um, Unfortunately, uh, it also created a bit of chaos as the community was unable to handle those uh, those resources. And oftentimes families were re-traumatized by continuing to have to retell their story and find the mm. correct service provider. Uh, so um, I actually uh, selected 24 individuals to train and um, the first day of training I said, how many people here are ready to tap with a new Newtowner? And everyone raised their hand and I said, wrong answer. Uh, and we went through the training of the day and I had them role play scenarios where they would be imagining sitting with a mother who lost their six-year-old child in the tragedy or yeah. sitting with a first responder or a medical examiner who had to respond to the scene. And clearly people's uh, people were triggered And I said, this is exactly where we need to be, so let's now tap on your triggers. And so we did a lot of tapping on the triggers that came up for everyone. And by the end of the day, I asked who was ready to tap with a Newtowner, and no one raised their hand, Mm -hmm. and I said, you can all stay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just a, a, a little sound bite. But what was very amazing was that people who came to serve Newtown received Um, two things, uh, at least two things. One is they continued the training and I said to them, regardless of whether you ever uh, work directly with a new towner, Uh, you will have the opportunity to recognize your own individual passions and go back into your own communities, your own families, your own workplaces, and share your passion and what you know and find really your own soul path, which is unique to you. And in fact, that is what happened. And those volunteers did a great job in Newtown, still serving Newtown, but also every single one of them is now leading the life that they wanted to live, have created their own uh, private practices or uh, secured the job of a lifetime. So when we choose to be in service to our own healing, we're actually doing the best service we can ever do to humanity because we are setting up a resonance field for that healing to occur in the world and to be a conduit of that in the world. And I think that's where the true uh, heart and soul of the humanitarian can be the most effective
1: i like that in, in western medicine lori somebody comes to me with a fractured arm we set the fracture we put it in a cast and then over a period of time we might take some x-rays to see that it's healing somebody comes in with an infection we put them on antibiotics or we check a wound we see that it's healing going in the right direction When so we we always have these processes to see that people are going in the right direction or do we need to change an antibiotic or or increase something else or offer a surgery at some point. When you're working with someone and you're trying to get a healing, and we're going to talk about Rwanda, for example, in a few minutes, and you start working with them, what are the things that you look for in terms of Uh, That they're on the right path that they are healing and if not do you have other methods? There are more advanced tapping or what kind of things? Do you do to check to see if someone is going in the right direction and What are the tools you use within the tapping to get them to that point? And finally one other question is have you come across anyone that has not been able to be healed and needs something else?
2: So how much time do we have? Eight great great, <laughs> great questions. and I would say that uh, you know uh, tapping is a uh, is a tool, and f- uh, for those of us who are working in the world of healing, we need many tools in our tool basket. Uh, it is the I believe the healing presence of the practitioner that allows that resonance field. Mm-hmm uh to be to be a I don't call myself a healer I call myself a conduit for healing uh, to create a space between myself and the person uh, I describe it in the infinity circuit where you know in that infinity circuit there appears to be a giver and a receiver But when we meet in the sweet spot in the middle, there is only love and we are both transformed. And this is where healing takes place for both the giver and the receiver. Having said that, um, the beauty of tapping is that you're always using the sud scale, the subjective units of distress, 0 to 10. So you can tell uh, which direction they're going in. And yes, there are advanced um skills and tools that we apply in tapping if the trauma is too intense we do something uh, like we call sneaking away which means if uh, someone is talking to me about the trauma of losing their family in the genocide and it's a Hey, it's a 20 on a scale of zero to 10. We have techniques we can use to back away. If you were even to think about, and I don't want you to think about that trauma right now, but if we were to think about it, how intense would that be? And there are other actually neuro-linguistic programming techniques that are very helpful in combination with the tapping to make sure the client is safe and ready to proceed. Um. I would say that, in my experience, seriously, we have had profound, profound uh, success. And there are many reasons. We, 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 in 99% of the cases, if the person is willing, they will definitely get an initial result. Now, as we peel away the onion, whether they are ready to deal with the issues that come up, underneath uh, what the presenting symptoms are, then that becomes a choice point. Uh, For example, we have been, uh, I I dare say 100%, but 99% effective in helping the people who were traumatized by the Sandy Hook Elementary School tragedy, the events of that day, we can lift off the events of that day and remove a myriad of symptoms and triggers uh, of that day, almost 100%. Now, what arises from that and how we connect the events of those days with previous traumas in their childhood or in the rest of their lives that need to be addressed, we call it core issues. We use the presenting trauma to go back into the earliest traumas so that we can make sure we clean out that whole trauma capsule. For example, many people moved to Newtown after being in New York City in 9-11. And they felt that moving to Newtown was the safety valve for them. Hmm. So you can only imagine that the events of of Sandy Hook uh, also triggered the events of 9-11. And then always there is a a childhood trauma uh, that that we can find that is also related. And so uh, because we've developed this sophisticated protocol, we really are able to clean out lots of corners about how this trauma, which is now complex PTSD, not just PTSD, but every event that came before or came after Sandy Hook, uh, you know, un- unless it's addressed gets compounded in that trauma capsule, so after Sandy Hook, if uh, someone developed an illness in your family, if there was a you know economic situation, if there were other tragedies or traumas that you encountered and you had not already dealt with the existing traumas you 're now dealing with complex ptSD which is the case in Rwanda where, uh, you know, trauma healing isn't enough because they continue to live in poverty. They continue to live with no hope for the future. They continue to live with the threat of violence. And so uh, we have to have skills and tools to be able to deal with, with complex PTSD as well. Did I answer all of those questions
1: I think you did. I don't even remember the question. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just tapping away here, re, relieving all of my issues. Um, no, I think you, you did a great job. On Magical Medical Tour and in Western medicine, we always talk about preventive medicine. And I always, as a medical guide, talk about preparatory medicine. Seeing the world as it is today, where there's obviously going to be more shootings, more tragedies, more genocides, more... Uh, terrorist types of attacks is there something we can do preventive or preparatory even before we have a trauma
2: uh, absolutely, and really you know there are a set of 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 skills and tools, but you know most importantly uh is, is to work on your own stresses and traumas and not to be triggered. For example, I use tapping every day to become self-aware. Now, I mean, I have a great deal of inner peace for which I am deeply grateful for and for which a long-term spiritual path has has taken me to. Um, but I try to find the dream in the nightmare, and I use actually a very simple tool of breathing, Uh, and um, it's like pushing the mental clutch in. And if people would commit to doing some diaphragmatic healing for one to two minutes uh, every hour for two days, it's like pushing the mental clutch in so that you can take a moment in time to notice where the stress is in your body and to breathe through that stress and to bring your mind back. And actually, I... Focus on being conscious in my heart. Uh, and in that way, what we're doing is we're actually resetting the reticular activating system in the brain, which gets wound up with every stressful thought and every stressful circumstance in the day. And most of us are not breathing properly, we're only breathing with a third of our lung capacity. And so basically, we're in stress, fight and flight, the whole day unless we do that deep, what I call healing breath work, it can be as simple as two minutes of diaphragmatic breathing for one hour throughout the day, throughout two days, and you would be amazed at how you're able to function and consciously choose what the next action should be. So like in practical terms, uh, I find myself at the moment with a lot of deadlines, a lot of competing uh, things for my time and various focuses. But I, uh, part of my work in the world is to be fully present to whatever I am experiencing, this especially in Rwanda. And so I kind of have this attitude of, oh, so this is what we're doing now. And I take a breath. And I get quiet, even if just for a moment I breathe. I notice whether I'm in my ego or my heart. And I know if I'm in my ego, when my muscles are contracted, when my shoulders are up like this, when I'm not breathing deeply, when I'm anticipating what the next question is or what the next circumstance is, when I'm trying to manipulate or control the circumstances, when I'm worried about time, versus when I'm in my heart, I'm breathing from my belly, I, my, my shoulders are relaxed, my body is relaxed, and my mind is simply present to what is. I find this the most resilient tool I have, and since we take 20,000 breaths a day at least, we have 20,000 opportunities to manage our stress, and in doing that, actually boost our immune system in the process. Um, So that's my three-minute
1: resiliency tool. Beautiful. You have an award-winning documentary called When I Was Young I Said I Would Be Happy, and this chronicles the transformation of your Project Light Ambassadors. That's your nonprofit organization. And this was uh, to work in Rwanda. What was it like being in Rwanda and seeing these mass genocides and the victims Mm. and the orphans. Give us a minute on that.
2: I've been in Rwanda since 2007 for a month at a time, either once or twice a year. This year, I will be there um, for the fourth time in November. Rwanda... taught taught me so much but the most important thing I did and I would ask anyone in the helping profession to do this is I did deep meditations into myself and could I be present to someone who had murdered a hundred people could I be present to a woman who was living with AIDS and had lost her entire family in the genocide could I imagine myself could I see myself in them and could is, would it be possible for me to drop my ego completely so I could be fully present to these people and to their circumstance? And could I imagine under what circumstances I uh, might be a murderer? uh under what circumstances would i could i so that i could drop all of my judgments and be in the mystery that i do not know why all this violence occurs but i know that it can be healed um with the, with love and the right resources and every person i met uh, not every person but certainly every circumstance i encountered Um, Healed, helped me heal and and actually triggered my vision for what is possible in the world. And so for me, instead of my heart breaking, my heart breaks open to what is possible if everyone is given the opportunity. Like, what did I want most when I was 12 years old and going through all these traumas? I wanted to uh, be seen. I wanted to be heard. I wanted to know I mattered. I wanted to love and be loved. I wanted to be rescued. And that is the basis of the Project Light Humanitarian Aid uh, program that I developed, which combines a train-the-trainer model for young people um, in their early 20s and late teens for trauma healing, heart-centered leadership, conflict transformation, economic sustainability opportunities, and community-building skills. And we did that pilot program in 2011, which is uh, what the documentary chronicles. And um, it was a huge success. And these 12 young people are exceptional examples of what love and the right resources can can do. And based on that, we are now moving to a to scaling and replicating that model by training trainers to work with young people. And in Rwanda, we are working with never again rwanda the largest peace building organization to train 40 of their s- staff to bring this work to for- 15 communities in rwanda uh, so that's how the the, the the model is building out
1: i can see where this would be very helpful to emergency physicians i i can relate to this and many times i i would have to take care of a rapist or a child molester or somebody that I obviously didn't want to um, treat in the same way I would treat a victim, but yet they were my patient at that time, and I had to uh, sort of disassociate and compartmentalize myself uh, to be able to take care of them because they still came in with an illness or an injury that needed to be taken care of. So I could see where this would be very helpful to a lot of people like that. And thank you for all the work that you're doing all around the world. I would like to um, take this a few moments now to offer you the chance to take us through a meditation. And we're honored to have you do this.
2: Great. Okay. Well, what I would ask people to do is to get in a comfortable position, put their feet flat on the floor. And um, I would ask you to put your hands on your heart. And just take a moment... To focus on your breathing. Breathe through any areas of tension in your body. Bringing that breath all the way to the belly. Taking in a soothing breath. Exhaling any tension you may be holding. taking a moment to place your consciousness in your heart, knowing that your heart will know just what to do. And with your consciousness in your heart, noticing that it's possible to move just a little bit more deeply with each breath into that still place in your heart. And for just a moment, dropping away any stressors or concerns. Touching into whatever gratitude may be present. And as you touch into that gratitude, notice what feelings of love may arise. And in that space where gratitude and love are joined, it's possible for joy to arise. And if joy is elusive, Opening to wonder, the wonder that we are not alone, that we are fully supported on our journey and our intentions for healing. And in this space of gratitude, love, joy, and wonder, perhaps allowing yourself to become aware of whatever gifts and miracles may unfold in the next few hours or days, but show you that you are supported by the divine. Remembering that whatever you choose to heal in yourself, sets up a resonance for that healing to unfold in our world. So that being in service to your own healing is our first and primary service work in the world. And now taking just a moment... to direct this energy of gratitude, love, joy and wonder to wherever you choose to whether it's your family, your community a certain place in the world and feel the grace of your own heart lighting up the world with the healing that we all desire. And with a few healing breaths now, just gently, when you're ready, opening your eyes. Welcome
1: back. I want to give everyone a second to take another breath, and thank you for welcoming us back. That was very nice, Lori. Thank you, and I know that people may listen to this, uh, even that last part, uh, a few more times, and once they learn that, that will be very helpful. Lori, we're coming to the end of our show, and mm-hmm. we always ask our guests for a health tip. Do you have something for us, even though I think... Many of the things you've told us already was a health tip.
2: Yeah, seriously, that breathing, that diaphragmatic breathing every hour, uh, remembering that uh, that's your ont- opportunity to become conscious of what's happening in your body, to interrupt the flow of adrenaline and, and stress hormones and to allow endorphins to be released uh, just by doing that two minutes of healing breath work every hour allows you to be more productive, more efficient, it increases your immune system and helps you make healthy choices.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Christina, any thoughts?
2: Right up my alley. Right
1: up your
0: alley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thanks for that. Oh, that was,
0: that was a happening. wonderful meditation. <laughs> and, Thank it, you. and truly I I it um we, we get a lot of that where people say, no, I can't meditate or, oh, I don't have the time. But that literally was only a few moments, a few minutes. And for people to be able to do that several times a day, you know, starting off with once or twice and, and then expanding from there, it, it's, it's, it becomes difficult not to do, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> you become addicted said. to the endorphins instead of the adrenaline. Yes, it's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that, Lori, truly.
1: Lori, well, was there anything in preparing for this that we didn't talk about that you wanted to quickly mention?
2: Uh, no, just that uh, I guess if people wanted to learn more about the documentary, they can certainly visit createglobalhealing.org or the site for the documentary, which is wheniwasyoungmovie.com. Uh, but truly, I appreciate everyone's blessings and support in this work, and uh, I'm very excited about what we co-created here, and uh, I hope your your viewers uh, were as inspired as I was uh, with this opportunity to be on the call and co-create with you and Christina.
1: We're always grateful, and I'm grateful to our very special guest, Lori Layden, Dr. Lori Layden, award-winning Uh, author and documentarian and humanitarian psychotherapist, thank you for sharing your wisdom, expertise, and journey with us, and good luck on your continued journey. The world needs you and more people like you. I want to thank my healers and my teachers for allowing me on my journey. I look forward to getting together again with Christina, Magical Medical Tour, and all of you Uh, and Segovia as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy uh, searching for optimal health.
0: (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Dr. Glenn Woolman and Lori, Dr. Lori Layden. Thank you so much for your time and, and really sharing your gift sharing your gift with our global community. And, and we hope to continue to co-create with you in some way and support the work that you do. It's just (laughs) truly magnificent. Um, And uh, of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're always grateful for your continuous support. And we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where I do encourage you to learn about his metaphor square breath. And also you can follow him on Facebook at The Medical Guide. Now, if you would like to connect directly with Dr. Lori Layden, you can do so through her website, createglobalhealing.org. And we definitely encourage you to go there and support her work createglobalhealing.org. We're always grateful for any feedback, comments, and suggestions. Um, If you see us on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. That would help us so much on spreading the word, spreading our shows to those who are in need. Um, And uh, all in all, if you have any comments or suggestions to share with us, you can do so in the comment box, or just give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. And until next time, namaste.